0: the holy spirit this is a series of teachings on the holy spirit of god the anointing oil now in the old testament the anointing was carried out by using oil literal physical oil a compound was mixed using myrrh sweet cinnamon sweet calamus cassia, and olive oil for the anointing. We read in the book of Exodus 37, 29, he also made the holy anointing oil, which was a symbol of the Holy Spirit, according to the Amplified, and the pure fragrant incense after the perfumer's art. Exodus 30, 22 to 32 tells us, Moreover, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take unto the three principal spices of pure myrrh, 500 shekels and of sweet cinnamon, half so much even 250 shekels and of sweet calamus, 250 shekels and of cassia, 500 shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary and of oil, olive, a hen and thou shalt make it an oil of holy ointment anointment compound after the art of the apothecary it shall be a holy anointing oil and thou shalt anoint the tabernacle of the congregation therewith and the ark of the testimony and the table and all the vessels and the candlestick and his vessels and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all his vessels and the laver and his foot and thou shalt sanctify them that they may be most holy whatsoever touches them shall be holy and thou shalt anoint aaron and his sons and consecrate them and they shall minister unto me in the priest's office and thou shalt speak unto the children of israel saying this shall be a holy anointing oil unto me throughout your generations upon man's flesh shall it not be poured neither shall you make any other like it after the composition of it. It is holy, and it shall be holy unto you. Now, it is interesting to note that in order to compound the anointing oil, firstly, there were different ingredients that were needed. And those ingredients were myrrh, sweet cinnamon, calamus, cassia, And olive oil five different ingredients had to be mixed secondly everything in the tabernacle all of the artifacts all of the objects had to be anointed with this oil and then all the ministers Aaron and his sons set aside in the priests office had to be anointed with this oil before they can be involved in any form of ministry But there was a warning also that one could not make a similar composition, a similar concoction of the various ingredients to form this anointing oil for ordinary use. It should not be used on common flesh, in other words, just upon anyone, because it was set aside for a holy purpose. Now these spices that were used, first of all, were principal spices. The word principle is first, chief or head spices, very important spices. The myrrh, it was bitter, but the true meaning means distilling in drops, much like doctrine that is distilled, meaning to drip or to trickle, purify, refine, filter, treat, or process. So to extract the most important aspects it is a resin or a gum, white or yellowish globules or tears like sap, a substance that comes out of cuts in the bark. Very interesting. Cinnamon means to stand erect. It is got from the inner bark of the tree. The bark is broken calamus is a reed or a measuring rod a shaft of the candle stand or the shoulder joint it's cane or reed like plant that is cut and dried and ground like powder cassia means to bend the body or to bow the head it is also got from the inside of the bark of the cassia plant the leaves are broken Olive oil, the root of this word, means brightness or prominent. It refers to the liquid that is gotten from the crushing of olives. Olive oil has always been regarded as liquid gold. Now all of these compounds, principal spices, had to be extracted by piercing the bark of a tree, to extract the sap from the heart of the tree, which is inside, to collect the drippings from the tree that usually releases the liquid in the early hours of the morning, to break in pieces the bark of a tree and grind like powder, the breaking of leaves into tiny pieces, and all these had to be mixed with olive oil, which came as a result of the crushing of olives. So there is a piercing, a dripping, a breaking, a crushing, and a grinding. Reminds us so much of one who went through this himself to release the anointing to us, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's no wonder sometimes in our brokenness, in our crushing, in our pain, in our dripping, tears, in the early hours of the morning, in our grinding, we actually become recipients of the anointing for a purpose. The Song of Songs, Chapter 4, for reading from verses 12 to 16, tells us, A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. Thy plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits, Campfire with spikenard, spikenard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all the chief spices. Fountain of gardens, a well of living waters and streams from Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, and come, thou south, blow upon my garden that the spices thereof may flow out. Let my beloved come into his garden and eat his pleasant fruits. This was figurative of the Holy Spirit who was to come. Once the Holy Spirit came, there was no need to use oil for the anointing. Very clearly, here was a typical garden full of plants and these plants were all used for the anointing oil. So the beloved of the writer of the Song of Songs was regarded as a garden herself. And because her garden was closed up, she was a fountain that was sealed and a spring that was shut up. The Bible tells us in verse 16 that there was a cry from her for the north wind to awake and come south from above to below to blow over the garden that the spices thereof may flow out and let my beloved come into his garden and eat his pleasant fruit. So one can see clearly the day would come when the Holy Spirit himself will enter this heart and begin to allow the fragrance of the makeup and blueprint of this life to start to flow. The seven radiations of the Spirit of God. We read in Isaiah eleven, one to four, there shall come forth a shoot out of the stock of Jesse, David's father, and a branch out of his roots shall grow and bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and of the reverential and obedient fear of the Lord and shall make him of quick understanding and his delight shall be in the reverential and obedient fear of the Lord and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes neither decide by the hearing of his ears but with righteousness and justice shall he judge the poor and decide with fairness for the meek the poor and the downtrodden of the earth and he shall smite the earth and the oppressor with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked the spirit of the lord is one spirit however the spirit of god has seven radiations or seven facets this is just like the candle stand there is a central shaft feeding six branches with the main shaft being the seventh If I had to ask you to pick the odd one out of the seven radiations of the Spirit, very quickly one would easily say the fear of God. For the fear of God is so different from wisdom, knowledge, counsel, might and understanding. The fear of God is part of the Holy Spirit and is given to us to enable men to reverence And respect God I think that fallen man lawless rebellious disobedient man would never have found it in his heart to reverence obey and respect God God had to reach out from his side and give us a facet of his Holy Spirit the fear of God so that through this facet of the Holy Spirit we can begin to fear God just like love I don't think fallen man would have found it in his heart to love God at all the Bible says God shed abroad his love in our hearts through the Holy Spirit and because we have the Spirit of God in us and we have God's love resident in his spirit were able to love God. What an amazing God we serve. What an amazing father. He did not leave anything out for our benefit. So there is a definite progression in understanding, revealing, and manifesting the completeness of the spirit. Even though the Holy Spirit is one spirit, there is a journey into the completion of the Holy Spirit. The Lord received the Spirit without measure, and of his fullness we have all received grace for grace, so the Bible tells us in the book of John. In this position of the fullness of the Spirit, there can be no judgment by the hearing of the ear or by the seeing of the eyes, but by the Spirit of God. There is a demand when one is filled with the Spirit of God to smite the earth and the oppressor with the rod of his mouth. The mouth of the Spirit of God who dwells within you, and to slay the wicked with the breath, the spirit of his lips. Every decision that is made must proceed from the Holy Spirit and not from us. So our journeying is very important. It's no wonder the Bible tells us the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So if we can walk in the fear of God and recognize that the fear of God, the reverential fear of God is step number one in understanding, in executing, in manifesting the spirit of God, that we can move to different levels, even though the spirit is complete in us. He's already complete, he's one spirit. But our journey through our obedience and by revelation we can walk in the fullness of the Spirit of God. Zechariah 3 9 tells us, For behold, upon one stone have I set before Joshua, and upon that one stone are seven eyes or facets, the all embracing providence of God and the sevenfold radiations of the Spirit of God. Behold, I will carve upon it its inscription, says the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity and guilt of this land in a single day. Very interesting. We know the stone was Christ. The seven eyes or facets are the all-embracing providence of God, which is the seven radiations of the Spirit. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ received the Spirit without measure, the fullness of the Spirit. And the iniquity of the land is removed by reason of the fullness of the seven radiations of the Spirit. Zechariah 14. Who with reason despises the day of small things? For these seven shall rejoice when they see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro throughout the earth. Firstly, the word engrave is important. The graving, that which is hidden in the fullness of the Spirit. This engraving is deep-seated. This engraving is in the heart. The seven radiations of the Spirit of God are the eyes of God, moving to and fro upon the face of the earth. So the fullness of the Spirit of God is in the earth. We have to understand him. We have to have to understand all radiations of the Spirit. We have to manifest all radiations. We have to honor all radiations. This is why it is so important to understand the Holy Spirit, who he is, all facets of him. Which facet is needed when? John 3.34 tells us, For since he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, he proclaims God's own message. God does not give him his spirit sparingly or by measure, but boundless is the gift God makes of his Spirit. Amazing, this is talking about Jesus, boundless, without measure, the fullness of the Spirit. But John 1 16 is interesting. For out of his fullness, his abundance, we have all received. We've all had a share, and we were all supplied with one grace after another, and spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, and even favor upon favor, and gift heaped upon gift. So the Lord Jesus received the fullness of the Spirit and spoke God's own message, not his or anyone else's. He didn't receive the Spirit sparingly, but in fullness. If we believe in him, we receive out of his fullness. Grace for grace, one grace after another, blessing upon blessing, favor upon favor. Mark 2, 6-8 tells us, Now some of the scribes were sitting there holding a dialogue with themselves as they questioned in their hearts. They were not talking, they were questioning in their own hearts. Why does this man talk like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins, remove guilt and remit the penalty and bestow righteousness instead except God alone? And at once, Jesus, becoming fully aware in his spirit that they thus debated within themselves, said to them, why do you argue, debate, reason about all of this in your hearts? Matthew twenty-two seventeen to 18, tell us therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness, and he said, why tempt me, you hypocrites? John 6.15 says, When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. John 4.33-34 Therefore said the disciples one to another, Has any man brought him aught to eat? And Jesus said to them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. The word perceive is to know by the spirit, epikinos, to know upon some mark, recognize by implication, to become fully acquainted with, to acknowledge, to perceive, to become thoroughly acquainted with, to know, thoroughly to know, accurately, to know well, to have knowledge of in thought, to have a deeper understanding of, or to read in the spirit. This is very critical. It is through the Holy Spirit that the Lord Jesus Christ knew exactly what they were thinking in their hearts. He didn't audibly hear their conversations, but he just knew inside of him what they were saying, what they were thinking, what they were perceiving. So this is important because the children of God need also to walk in this dimension to know exactly what's in the hearts of men, to understand. The reason why these seven run to and fro throughout the, earth, the whole earth is that the Holy Spirit within man is God's providence. The sevenfold spirit of God within man on the earth are the seven eyes of God moving to and fro. Hence, the necessity of exposure. The hearts of men are exposed. Nothing can be hidden in the day when the fullness of the Spirit of God is revealed through man on the earth. The word engrave is an interesting word. It means open or loosen or disclose or remove the lid. The word graving, that which is hidden in the fullness of the Spirit. In this position, the iniquity and deep-seated sin of the individual who has the Spirit of God first and of the land will be exposed, will be seen, will be uncovered, will be disclosed and removed in a day. This is magnificent. For the seven radiations of the Spirit of God are the eyes of God moving to and fro upon the face of the earth. John 3 34 tells us for since he whom God has sent speaks the words of God proclaims God's own message God does not give him his spirit sparingly or by measure but boundless is the gift God makes of his spirit John 1 16 tells us for out of his fullness the abundance we have all received we've all had a share And we were all supplied with one grace after another and spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing and even favor upon favor and gift heaped upon gift. So the Lord Jesus Christ received the fullness of the Spirit of God and spoke God's own message, not his own or not anyone else's. Let's take note of that. He didn't receive the Spirit sparingly, but in fullness, in completion in full measure. Now if we believe in him and we receive this, this Holy Spirit, we actually receive out of his fullness graceful grace, blessing upon blessing and favor upon favor. And this is interesting. However, because we don't have a good understanding of the fullness of the Spirit, we can walk with a portion of the Holy Spirit, because in accordance with our understanding, we walk. Therefore, it is imperative for us to understand the fullness of the Spirit, the completeness of the Spirit, all seven radiations of the Spirit. Hence, our journey becomes a step-by-step process of uncovering each of the radiations of the Spirit and of manifesting the radiations of the Spirit. Now we read Mark 2, 6 to 8. Some of the scribes were sitting there holding a dialogue with themselves and as they questioned in their hearts, why does this man talk like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins, remove guilt and remit the penalty and bestow righteousness instead? Except God alone. And at once, Jesus becoming fully aware in his spirit that they thus debated within themselves he said to them, Why do you argue, debate, reason about all this in your hearts? Matthew twenty-two, seventeen to eighteen tells us. Tell us therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived the wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, you hypocrites? See, he perceived this wickedness in their hearts he didn 't just hear the words he knew what was in the heart and where that was coming from John six fifteen tells us when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. This is a very key scripture because sometimes people can raise you up before your time and try to make you a king, exalt you, almost worship you, venerate you um, love you more than they love God, and this can become a danger. But he already perceived this, and he knew that this was not what he had come for. And immediately he departed before they could lift him up. Yet he was God in the flesh. John four thirty three to 34, Therefore said the disciples one to another, Has any man brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Now the word "perceive" is to know by the spirit, epignos, to know upon some mark, to recognize by implication, to become fully acquainted with, to acknowledge, to know, to perceive, to become thoroughly acquainted with, to know thoroughly, to know accurately, to know well, to have knowledge of in thought to have a deeper understanding of or to read in the spirit. This was critical for Jesus. He knew what they were thinking. He knew what their inner thoughts were. Even though they might have said something that didn't relate directly to the thought, he could perceive what they were thinking. And this is so important for us today. Today. That it is through the sevenfold spirit of God we will be able to know what men think, the hearts of people will be exposed because of the fullness of the spirit. the seven eyes unravels, opens up and discloses what's hidden behind the scenes. Revelation 1:4 says, "John to the seven assemblies, the churches that are in Asia." May grace, God's unmerited favor, be granted to you, and spiritual peace, the peace of Christ's kingdom, from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits, the sevenfold Holy Spirit before his throne. Notice that the seven radiations of the Spirit are before the throne of God. Therefore, before any form of rulership and dominion, there is a necessity of uncovering, understanding, manifesting the sevenfold spirit of god it will not happen outside of the fullness of the spirit revelation 1 11 to 17 saying i am the alpha and the omega the first and the last write promptly what you see your vision in a book send it to the seven churches which are in asia ephesus smyrna pergamum Thyatira, sardis to philadelphia and Laodicea." and then i turn to see Whose was the voice that was speaking to me? And on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstand one like the Son of Man, clothed with a robe which reached his feet, and with a girdle of gold about his breast. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes flashed like the flames of fire. His feet glowed like burnished bright bronze, as it is refined in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held the seven stars, and from his mouth there came forth a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in full power at midday, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. The declaration of the image of God is Alpha and Omega. This means that he is the final authority. Nothing can be entered into. He is the beginning, the end, the first, the last. Now, John turned to see the voice. Therefore, we have to see the word manifest. Until there's a manifestation of the word, it means the word has not become flesh. The robe that he wore down to the ankles It's actually a robe of righteousness. The girdle of gold is the breastplate of truth, which is faithfulness. And he was dressed also with holiness, which is the seven radiations of the spirit. His hair was as white as wool, which is wisdom, the spirit of wisdom. He had a double-edged sword in his hand or came out of his mouth, which is counsel. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 5 His voice was the voice of many waters, which is knowledge. Knowledge of the glory of God shall cover the earth, like the waters cover the sea. The seven stars, speak of the spirit of might, because he was able to uphold the seven churches in his right hand. His feet were burnt, even like bronze, shows that he walked with the fear of God. And his eyes were like flames of fire, which speaks of the spirit of understanding. So we will continue with this teaching next time. The Holy Spirit of God this is a series of teachings on the Holy Spirit of God the spirit of God the spirit of man and evil spirits it is important for us to differentiate among the different spirits in the book of Genesis 2 7 we read and the Lord God formed men of the dust of the ground And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul so in his perfect state adam was a living soul in his fallen state his soul died for god said the soul that sinneth shall surely die this means that darkness covered his soul his body continued to live dependent on the blueprint of the soul but eventually died with old age or with illness, disease, etc. The veil that stood between the holy and the most holy was now between the soul and the spirit. Job 32 and verse 8 tells us there is a vital force, a spirit of intelligence in men, and the breath of Almighty gives men understanding. So I truly believe that every man who was made in the image of God and has the breath of God, has a spirit of intelligence in him. Job 33 and verse four tells us, it is a spirit of God that made me, which has stirred me up, and the breath of the Almighty that gives me life, which inspires me. Take note of the capital S in spirit here. This is God's Holy Spirit. So whenever we see the word Spirit with a capital S, it is talking about the Spirit of God. Job 34 and verse 14 says, If God should set his heart upon him, man, and withdraw his life-giving spirit and his breath from man to him, all flesh shall perish together and man shall turn again unto dust. Numbers twenty-seven, sixteen says let the Lord the God of the spirits of all flesh set a man over the congregation so take note in both these scriptures God is the God of the spirits of men he also chooses a man through whom he blesses with a transgenerational blessing this is the anointing upon a man that can be transferred to another by the laying on of hands but also take note that in both these scriptures, when talking about the spirit of all flesh, the S is a small S and not a capital S. Ezekiel 11, 19 tells us, and I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take the stony heart out of your flesh and will give them a heart of flesh. Ezekiel eighteen thirty one to thirty two says, Cast away from you all your transgressions by which you have transgressed against me, and make you a new mind and heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him who dies, says the Lord. Therefore turn, be converted and live. Ezekiel thirty six twenty six twenty eight says. A new heart will I give you and a new spirit I will put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Please take note that there's a small S In all of these scriptures, when talking about the spirit in man, which is the breath of God, the word spirit in the Greek is ruach, it's the same as the Holy Spirit of God. Breath is nishama, it's a puff of air, and it's closely related to the life of the soul. Psalms 32 and verse 2 tells us, Blessed, happy, fortunate to be envied is the man to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Small s for spirit. This spirit in man is closely related to the life of the soul. Sometimes shown as ruach and at other times it's the breath of the soul. Proverbs 15, 13 tells us, a glad heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of heart the spirit is broken. Ruach obret, Proverbs twenty twenty seven, the spirit of man, that factor in human personality which proceeds immediately from God, is the lamp of God, searching all the innermost parts. This word spirit, the spirit of man in this scripture, is nishama, and is closely related to the life of the soul. Proverbs 17.22 tells us, a happy heart is good medicine and a cheerful mind works healing, but a broken spirit, small s, dries up the bones. Ecclesiastes 8.8 8 tells us, there is no man who has power over the spirit to retain the breath of life. Neither has the power over the day of death. There is no discharge in battle against death. Neither will wickedness deliver those who are its possessors and given to it. So man cannot decide to own the breath of God. God decides when it is time to withdraw his breath from man. And we notice that man does not have power over the spirit to retain that breath within him. That breath comes directly from God, but the S in that spirit is small letter. Isaiah 57, 15 to 16 says, for thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity and whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and a humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. For I will not contend forever, neither will I always be wroth, for the spirit should fail before me, and the souls which I have made. So even though Adam could not easily access the Spirit of God in him after the fall, God, through his Spirit in man, began to process, began a process of reviving the spirit of the humble and the contrite in heart. God declared that he would not be angry forever, lest the spirits of men or the life, the breath of the soul of man should fail before God. For God made our souls, and it is God's breath in our souls anyway to keep us alive. Isaiah 63, 10 to 11, But they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit, capital letter S. Therefore he was turned to be their enemy and he fought against them. Then he remembered the days of old, Moses and his people saying, where is he that brought them up out of the sea with the shepherd of his flock? Where is he that put his Holy Spirit, capital letter S, within him? So it is clear according to the above scripture that God did put his Holy Spirit in Moses. Question is, why would God destroy his people after bringing them out of Egypt and captivity to destroy them again while well, from God's side he was not willing to destroy his people whom he saved with his right hand of righteousness from man's side man rebelled against the Holy Spirit vexed and irritated his Holy Spirit therefore he became their enemy and this was the result of man's doing not God's Judges 9 23 God sent an evil spirit, small letter S, between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. And the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. So the Holy Spirit is not an evil spirit. He is the Holy Spirit of God. And he is the spirit, the very life of God. Evil spirits are fallen spirits who are still subject to God for his work. Therefore, the Bible tells us that these spirits work in the sons of disobedience. Remember that God has no equal, nor does he have any rival. The devil is not his adversary. God can use angels, fallen angels, the devil, when he wants to, and they simply obey him. First Samuel 16 and verse 23 tells us, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit tormented and troubled him. Spirit of the Lord is capital S. Saul's servant said to him, Behold, an evil spirit from God, small s, torments you. Let our Lord now command your servants here before you to find a man who plays skillfully on the lyre, And when the evil spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. Now note, even though this evil spirit from God doesn't mean that God is an evil spirit, but God can use a spirit that is evil, is upon you, and he will play it and you will be well. Saul told his servants, find me a man who plays well and bring him to me. Well, one of the young men said, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who plays skillfully, a valiant man, a man of war, prudent in speech and eloquent, an attractive person. And the Lord is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a kid and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and served him. Saul became very fond of him and he became his armor-bearer. Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he pleases me. And when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, David took a lyre and played it. So Saul was refreshed and became well, and the evil spirit, small s, left him. So the possibility of the Holy Spirit departing is a reality. In this case, an evil spirit from God Replace the Holy Spirit. God is not evil, but he can use an evil spirit because the devil obeys him and is a servant to God. Disobedience in any form can spell disaster for a child of God. 1 Samuel 18.10 The next day an evil spirit from God came mightily upon Saul and he raved madly in his house while David played the lyre with his hand As at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. 1 Kings 22, 21 to 23. Then they came forth a spirit of whom I am about to tell, and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, By what means? And he said, I will go forth and be a lying spirit in the mouths of all his prophets. The Lord said, You shall entice him and succeed also. Go forth and do it. So the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouths of all these prophets, and the Lord has spoken evil concerning you. Now this was to deceive Ahab because of his evil heart. The evil spirit was ever ready to entice Saul. The devil will do anything to cause the children of God to rebel just like himself against God. Then he can accuse them and bring a penalty on them. It is not God wanting to send an evil spirit on man, but man's actions will justify man's disobedience will cause an evil spirit to demand to act in his life Psalms 139 7 to 12 says where could I go from your spirit or where could I flee from your presence if I ascend up into heaven you are there if I make my bed in Sheol the place of the dead behold you are there if I take the wings of the morning or dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall your hand lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the night shall be the only light about me. Even the darkness hides nothing from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Notice a capital S for the Spirit of God. This is the very presence of God. Take note that the presence and spirit of God is not restricted to heaven. God's spirit is also in the place of the dead, in the sea, even in the darkness. One can never hide from the spirit of God. He will find you out. This also tells us that the devil and hell are not hidden from God either. Therefore, if the Spirit of God dwells within us, we can walk in absolute victory over the forces of darkness and over everything this world meets out to us. The Holy Spirit is really our victory. The Holy Spirit is the key to a successful life. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God dwelling in us to take us on a journey to completion and perfection in Christ.